open up the live channel on the Rural Radio Network and bring you another edition of Midday. It's Friday, so let's see what we're headed for going into the weekend. We have the Brain Trust in front of us here to tell us what's going on, because I certainly don't. So we'll all sit on the edge of our seats and listen for... Those clues. That's a lot of pressure. I know. Brain trust. I don't (laughs) believe I've ever been involved in a brain trust. (laughs) No. I don't think so. Not Mm -hmm. since FDR has there really been one. That's a good point. All right. Here we we are. Midday headlines with, uh, first off, Jesse Harding. Well, we'll have something from someone who's smarter than I am. Mm. No. (laughs) He's an economist, and I don't do numbers, so that should be first off. But we'll talk about (laughs) agriculture trade and where we're standing for the first eight months of the fiscal year or whatever it shall be, but for the first last eight months, we're going to talk about agriculture trade for the United States, and that's for the 12-13. For the 12-19, someone smarter than I am. Two of them. (laughs) Shaley Peters is going to be with our state climatologist, Al Dutcher, and I don't know weather that well, but Mm. I guess it looks like the hot weather shall continue on, so I guess that's what we can expect. For the newsmaker... I'm with someone who's smarter than me. <laughs> and it's Ambassador Darcy Vetter. She's a native of Nebraskan, the former chief agriculture negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative. She was named yesterday as the diplomat in residence for the Clayton Yider Institute of International Trade and Finance that will be hosted at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. We talk about this new opportunity for her and some of the things that she's going to be able to bring to the table with that institute, being the former ag negotiator for USTR and also knowing Clayton Yider. And so, We'll talk about that. And then for the 117, we have our latest Fridays in the field as today is Friday. And Susan Littlefield is joined with Dave Warner from Albion, Nebraska, talking about how dry it is in that part of the state. Very good. This is kind of a humbling uh, little segment, isn't it, Scott? Well, it really is. And uh, as the, probably the owner of the lowest IQ in the room right now, uh, well, but who better to do sports, right? Well, you know, maybe it's uh, subject appropriate. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's find out what's going on in sports. Well, we're all kind of gearing up for the Major League Baseball's All-Star Game coming up here on Tuesday. The manager of the All-Star Game is always the winners of the pennants from the year before. That would be Terry Francona for the American League. However, he has some heart problems yes, right he now, and he's gonna he will not be managing the Indians manager will not be managing, even though the Indians did beat the Padres yesterday, so that had to make him feel a little bit better. All right. How does that make you feel? Same as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Brogan on business, and I know you've got a report uh, about someone smarter than you because uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway is in that headline today, I think. Yes, and I just want to say that uh, I'm going to raise everybody's stock here because <laughs> there was a good jobs report hey, for last good, month. Good. Uh, the economy added 222,000 jobs, so the market is responding positively. So that's uh, something real good that's going on. Uh, Other things going on, uh, there's, uh, well, there's just all kinds of things. Anyway, the market's going up today. I lost my train of thought there, but uh, I'll get it back somehow by the end of this segment. This reminds me of once someone asked me, what qualifies you to be on the radio? And I said, not one darn thing. Nothing at all. We'll find out what's to find out here on today's Midday. 
Well, Paul Perkins, thank you for uh, turning it down by about 10 degrees today. We really <laughs> appreciate that in our weather guy. Yes, uh, nice to see some cooler weather. Also, a little bit of rain moving through the region right yes, now. Yes, it is. A little spotty, but we'll tell you more about that. And we'll tell you also that our ag information and weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Currently have some light rain, for the most part, scattered about central Nebraska. Some of that activity right along that Highway 14 corridor from about Neely in northeast Nebraska down to around Albion, Fullerton. And it looks like some moderate activity in between Central City and Aurora. Also some light to moderate activity from Loop City in central Nebraska and Sherman County right along Highway 92 on over to about the Ansley area. And then much of southern Custer County, including the Broken Bow area, seeing at least a little bit of light rain this morning. And then also a little bit of that light rain leaking across the Custer County, Dawson County border to just north of Kozad. Maybe a little bit of light rain towards Lexington and Elwood in the way of some sprinkles. And also maybe a little bit of light rain along the highway from North Platte to around McCook. All this activity moving off towards the southeast. Temperatures right now mostly in the mid to upper 70s. Those rain showers, thanks to some disturbances tracking southeast today, those disturbances could track or trigger a few more thunderstorms as we head into tonight. An easterly upslope flow could also help to develop some thunderstorms in western locations that then track to the east. A few of these storms may get severe if we get some afternoon heating going and if they can hold together, but not expecting much in the way of severe weather problems. Temperatures today about 10 to 15 degrees cooler than yesterday with those easterly winds in behind the passage of a cold front. Better enjoy it because it gets warmer from here on out. A few more thunderstorms possible tomorrow as we'll be on the eastern edge of a high-pressure ridge. That high-pressure ridge expanding east for Sunday and early and much of next week, actually. And that will begin a multi-day stretch, a multi-day stretch of temperatures of around 5 to 10 degrees warmer than normal. The peak of the heat expected over the next seven days from Monday through Wednesday when that heat and humidity will make it feel as warm as 105 the warmer air in the upper levels will help to cap the thunderstorm development and also start to increase our drought concerns. That ridge will start to give way a little for some small thunderstorm chances Monday night into Tuesday night. In our long-term forecast, we do have a high likelihood of warmer-than-normal temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. And that is for Wednesday through July 20th. In fact... Many long-term forecast services now expect central Nebraska daytime highs to range 95 to 100 each day through at least July 20th. Now, with that ridge of high pressure anchored over the northern plains, Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. forecast to see below normal rainfall Wednesday through July 20th. In the markets today, weather factors include prospects for hot and dry conditions to spread across the central U.S. in the long term, and notable dryness in wheat areas of Australia. Periodic rain will continue across the eastern third of the U.S. in the next five days. Rain a lot more spotty across the plains. Rain with that monsoon circulation of moisture will gradually begin to affect the southwest and intermountain west, but it's going to take a while before we start to see some of that moisture. The west will remain very hot over the weekend and early next week. That heat will extend as far east as the high plains. In the Midwest, mostly dry conditions and very warm to hot temperatures the next week to 10 days. In the far west and northern Midwest will increase stress on rain-fed crops and also increase the irrigation use. Initially, there will be higher rain chances for the central and east Midwest, but there are some signs of hotter and drier conditions also extending into the central and east Midwest in the 10-day period. That will be closely watched for possible stress to corn in pollination. 
across the northern plains. Only limited rain is forecast the next 10 days with increased heat in already dry areas of Montana and western Dakotas. The dry pattern in the Canadian prairie showing no signs of ending, especially in southwest and central Saskatchewan, where temperatures will be high and increase the crop stress. Dryness widespread in major wheat areas of Australia. Some locations have recorded no more than 20% of average rainfall in the last three months. Reduced wheat, produ- reduced wheat production fears are increasing as you head towards Australia. All right. Is that it? Yep, and just yeah, some hot and dry conditions. Uh, you know that long-term forecast. A lot of these uh, forecast services indicating we could be stuck with this through at least the twentieth of the month. Oh boy, so uh, if we do get a scattered thunderstorm or whatever, you probably better soak it up as yeah, much as you if can. If you could only bottle it up in yeah, one way or another. So great. Yep. Holdridge Irrigation brought you this ag weather. We just got a note also that uh, Goodland. Uh, National Weather Service office also looking for that pretty typical pattern that we've seen lately of uh, those scattered thunderstorms developing in northeast Colorado and then traveling across the remainder of that High Plains area for later on tonight. So look forward to that. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network and Jesse Harding. There was a rare happening on the U.S. agricultural trade front this spring, and Bryce Cook, USDA trade economist, shares U.S. trade for agriculture numbers for the first eight months of this fiscal year. Agricultural exports for this fiscal year total $98.9 billion, uh, compared with $80.2 billion worth of agricultural imports. Last fiscal year, there were $86.7 billion worth of agricultural exports. So this fiscal year, there were $12.2 billion more for up through this point. And a deficit like that doesn't happen very often, he says. The last time was in May of 2016. And the Cumming County Beef and Schools program is ready to get started with a new school year. Chad Moyer has this story. Cumming County Feeders President Todd Schroeder of Wisner says the intent of the program is twofold. First, to provide locally sourced, high-quality beef for every school district in Cumming County, and second, to increase the number of times beef appears on the school's menus, from maybe four or five times a month to eight or nine times a month. He says it's taken a bit of coordination to get started. You know, what we've been doing, Chad, is we've met with the school superintendents, we've been working with the folks here at ASC Lockers to make sure we understood how the logistics could work uh, in the supply chain. And we think we have that at least a a skeletal structure of that right now. And we are going to have a path now for producers to donate critters to the program and uh, get it to the schools. Schroeder says four carcasses have been donated so far for the Cumming County Beef in Schools program, and the meat will be given to each school district in Cumming County, including Wisner Pilger, Bancroft Rosalie, West Point Beamer Public, and Guardian Angels Central Catholic in West Point. He says the goal is to have 40 donated steers or heifers to get through the school year. I'm Chad Moyer reporting. Kansas State University scientists are part of a breakthrough study in which an international team of researchers has successfully deciphered all 10 billion letters in the genetic code of wild ancestor of wheat. Their work is published today in the Science Magazine. 
And by knowing the genetic code of wild emmer, scientists can now compare its DNA to modern varieties to fully understand where wheat has evolved over thousands of years. With that information, they can better understand the genes that provide important traits, such as drought and heat tolerance or resistance to various diseases and pests. Kansas State University wheat breeder Alan Fritz already is continuing conducting field trials with wild emmer at the Ashland Bottoms Research Farm south of Manhattan. He says there's good evidence that wild emmer contains genes for drought tolerance. And Israeli researchers identified a chromosome that's produced a 10 to 15 percent increase in yield under drought without sacrificing yield potential under well-watered condition. Fritz added that he and his team have done preliminary screening of ancestors of wild emmer and have found resistance to weak shrink mosaic virus, while reports indicate it also contains genes for resistance to Visarium head blight and stripe rust. Wild emmer genes may also provide added value for wheat-based foods. More information on this story can be found by visiting rollradio.com. And according to EIA data, ethanol production averaged 1.014 million barrels per day. That is down 1,000 from the week before. The four-week average for ethanol production increased to 1.006 million barrels per day for an annualized rate of 15.42 billion gallons. Stocks of ethanol contracted at 21.6 million barrels. That's Look Ag, Ag Information on the Roll Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. And Al, you kind of nailed it on the head this past week as far as it being very hot across much of the state and not a lot of precipitation. Can we expect that headed into next week as well? Well, I think the predominant feature will be the dryness, at least in the first half of the forecast period, uh, although there are some a- uh, actual scattered convection shown by the models we've seen in this past week that much of the convection was overrated, particularly across the northern portion of the state with more of the concentrated precipitation isolated in small air, small pockets south of Interstate 80. Uh, more widespread precipitation has occurred in that area of east central Nebraska and southeast Nebraska and therefore we've seen the introduction of moderate drought conditions from essentially northeast Nebraska southwestward into the northeastern one quarter of the sand hills and with the forecast of a ridge from the western United States beginning to translate itself into the central plains we expect a return of hot and humid weather and in fact if we look at temperature forecasts consistently are putting us into the 90s as we go in through early next week through the middle of the week with conditions potentially easing somewhat as we go into the later portion of next week. Therefore, with that high-pressure system in place, the odds are that there will be a little bit of capping in the upper atmosphere that will basically put a lid on widespread convection. But anything that does break through is probably going to go severe rather quickly. Movement of those systems should be with that ridge positioned just to the west of us, should be from the northwest to the southeast. And the most likely area that we'll see convection, at least in the first half of the period, would be those areas of western and central Nebraska that may catch in some of the monsoon flow coming up through the central Rockies and moving out into the plains. So any trigger in that northwest flow with the big big trough over the Great Lakes region may actually generate some precipitation. But once again, we're not expecting widespread 
spread. And if you look at the quantitative precipitation outlook through next Friday, generating just trace amounts in portions of southeast Nebraska to up to a half an inch in western Nebraska. Now, the one thing we will say is this is based on the model placement of this upper air ridge. We know that generally we will get a ring of fire around that ridge as moisture is transported along the periphery. So any movement toward the southwest of the position currently forecasted for that high-pressure system would put more of the state either at the top of the ridge or basically to the east of the ridge. Both of those would allow some moisture to move around the periphery and the areas of western Nebraska may see a little bit of activity, but we are definitely looking at warm conditions and cattle stress index values are going to be high once again, basically from Sunday through Thursday with the two worst days currently predicted by the models to be on Tuesday and Wednesday with readings at least in portions of northern and eastern Nebraska exceeding the 115 fuel like temperature march, which would cause some problems in feedlots. So we don't offer a lot of solutions here in terms of significant moisture. A little bit better uh, probabilities of moisture are starting to appear as we get into the week two forecast as we catch much more of the monsoonal flow and also indicating a potential tropical cyclone moving into the Gulf of Mexico as we go into the middle to later part of next week. All right. Thanks so much, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climate Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can always visit ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Scott Foster. Thanks, Derek. Happy Friday afternoon to you. Let's take a look at sports. Terry Francona will not be managing the American League All-Star team after a procedure to correct an irregular heartbeat. Team officials said the 58-year-old had a cardiac ablation performed on Thursday at the Cleveland Clinic. Francona has been hospitalized and undergoing tests since Tuesday. He was admitted after doctors detected an arrhythmia when reading a monitor the manager had been wearing for several weeks. Francona had been experiencing dizziness, fatigue, and rapid heart rate. The Indians said Friday that Francona remains in the hospital and is expected to be discharged in a day or two. Last night, Sal Romano tossed five hits, five innings to earn his first major league win in the Cincinnati Reds beat Colorado 6-3. Romano, 1-1, called up before the game to make his second career start, scattered six hits and allowed two runs to help the Reds split the four-game series. Colorado starter Tyler Chatwood is 6-10. He allowed seven hits and walked four in six innings but limited the damage with some timely double plays. It was the 12th loss in 15 games for the Rockies. Chadwood said, though, it's not time to panic. I think everybody gets frustrated when, um, you know, we have chances to win games and we're not winning them. But at the same time, it is a long season, and uh, I think we're still, what, 12, 11 games over 500 right now. So um, we've endured this stretch, and we just got to turn around. Colorado will host the Chicago White Sox for a weekend series starting tonight. Games tonight in the majors. Milwaukee will be at the Yankees. Kansas City will be at Red Hot Los Angeles. In the American Lake, Houston at Toronto. Boston is at Tampa Bay. Detroit is in Cleveland. The Angels are at Texas, Baltimore, and Minnesota. And it is Oakland at Seattle. And the senior circuit, Pittsburgh, is at the Cubs. The Padres are in Philly. Atlanta in Washington. The Mets in St. Louis. It is Cincinnati and Arizona, and Miami will be in San Francisco. 
in Wimbledon, Victoria Azarenka has made it to the second week of Wimbledon. The former number one from Belarus beat Heather Watson 3-6-6-1-6-4 in the third round in center court. The two-time Australian Open champion was playing for only the fifth time since giving birth in December. Azarenka missed last year's Wimbledon tournament because of an injury and hasn't played in a Grand Slam event since the 2016 French Open. Two-time champion Rafael Nadal was next on center court against Karen Kajanov. Defending champion Andy Murray was to follow against Fabio Fodini. That's a quick look at sports. More midday coming up next. Have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. I'm Scott Foster. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. The Phelps County Sheriff's Office responded to a one-vehicle crash that injured a Lexington woman and her passenger. A vehicle was driven by Maria Rodriguez of Lexington, was traveling south on 438 Road near 731 Road. Her vehicle then left a curb and crossed onto the northbound side of 438 Road. She overcorrected and entered the east ditch, rolling the vehicle. The vehicle was totaled and Rodriguez and her passenger were treated for injuries. A new report released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention indicates that the opioid addiction crisis could be cut down if there were more across-the-board guidelines that doctors had to follow. Acting CDC Director Dr. Ann Shookett pointed out that opioid addiction doesn't simply vary from state to state, but it varies from city to city. We saw higher opioid prescribing in counties that had small cities or towns, had a greater percentage of white residents, were where a higher concentration of primary care physicians and dentists worked, or where more people were uninsured or unemployed, and where more people had diabetes, arthritis, or disabilities. Dr. Shookett went on to say that the rise in heroin addiction has a direct connection to prescription opioid addiction. President Donald Trump voices optimism that there are, quote, very positive things, end quote, in store for the United States and Russia as he sits down with Russian President Vladimir Putin for an historic first meeting. Seated next to Putin on the sidelines of an economic summit currently underway in Germany, Trump says, quote, it's an honor, end quote, to be with Putin. Meanwhile, Germany's justice minister has condemned violent clashes at the Group of 20 summit currently underway in Hamburg that have injured 160 police officers and led to the detention of more than 40 protesters. Justice Minister Hiko Maas told the Daily Build on Friday that violent protests were a disservice to the big crowd of overwhelmingly peaceful demonstrators. Maas said, quote, every peaceful protest is welcome, but there is no free pass for unrestrained rampage. Meanwhile, back stateside, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he plans to produce a fresh bill in about a week that scuttles and replaces much of President Barack Obama's health care law. But he's also acknowledging a plan B if that effort continues to flounder. His remarks earlier today are among his most explicit concessions that a top priority for President Donald Trump and the entire GOP might fall short. Get your news fast and first when you like our Facebook page. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. 
A native Nebraskan is going to be able to work when it comes to the Clayton Yider Institute at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. On the phone with us from Washington, D.C. is Ambassador Darcy Vetter. She is the former Chief Agriculture Negotiator for the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. She's going to be now the diplomat in residence at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln for the Clayton Yider Institute of International Trade and Finance. Darcy, why don't you first tell us a little bit about this institute that is going to be happening at the university. Well, Clayton Yider uh, had the, the forethought to create uh, and lay a foundation for this institute, and he uh, has established or worked with the university to establish endowed chairs in business, in agriculture, and in law to advance really the study and the exploration of global trade and finance, and in particular looking at how that relates to agriculture. And the, the next step, and where I'm uh, grateful to be able to, to come in and, and work with the university and with the Yider family, is to sort of build on that foundation and figure out how to knit together those three disciplines to really help students and faculty uh, explore some of the issues uh, surrounding global trade and finance and, and in agriculture. And what I will bring to the mix is the practical experience. So as a diplomat in residence, I'll be using uh, my background in negotiating trade agreements and working in the public sector to try and create better conditions for global trade and finance and for the export of, of Nebraska-made products uh, to help to help shape the curriculum to make sure that, that students are prepared to influence uh, global trade, to use the global trading system and the global finance system to bring uh, good results back to the state. Can you tell us a little bit on your background, being formerly with the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, some of the things that you've been able to do in real life, not just like that in a classroom setting that some students might be getting, that you can now bring that experience and background to the Institute? Sure. So my task with the last administration as the chief agriculture negotiator was really to lead the negotiations on trade and agriculture. Uh, That included negotiating the agriculture package of the TPP, uh, working with uh, other countries like China and Brazil to resolve trade issues and to keep products, uh, particularly agricultural products, moving uh, between our countries. Uh, to try and influence better trade rules to make it easier for the United States to do business globally uh, at places like the World Trade Organization in Geneva. And so what I hope to be able to provide is as the curriculum for the Eider Institute is developed, sort of a, a peek inside how those institutions work, uh, what it actually looks like when you sit down to try to, to negotiate uh, a, a trade agreement, what kind of things you need to know. Uh, how to do the math and the analysis to figure out what those deals are worth, Uh, how to think about the politics surrounding global trade, how to build coalitions uh, with other countries among stakeholders in the U.S. to get support for the trade agenda. Um, Those are kind of the practical steps uh, that we hope to build into that educational experience for students at UNL. For this institute, what do you think it means to the university and to Nebraska to have something like this for its students and citizens within the state? Well, it's really a first-of-its-kind approach to uh, tackling the study of, of global trade and finance. And I think Clayton's vision to create a space to look at those issues and to, to do cross-disciplinary work uh, was really visionary. And so it's exciting to work on it. 
but I think it's particularly relevant now. Uh, if we look at the the year of 2016 and our election cycle and the role that trade played in the election and the way that we discussed trade, um, there's clearly a lot of reflection and confusion and concern about the global economy and the trade rules. And in the first six months of this new administration, we're seeing a very different approach toward international trade policy. And so I think it's an important point of reflection to be launching this institute and to create critical thinkers among the the students and and the faculty throughout the university system to say, you know, what what role does trade play in my daily life? How does it affect the decisions I make on my farm or in my business? Um, How can we develop policies that not only increase the opportunities for Nebraskans to participate in the global economy, but help those in industries that are facing stiffer competition to adjust, to retrain, uh, to participate successfully in a quickly changing global marketplace. Those are all really valid questions, and I think a university is a really good place to to ask them and create uh, citizens who are prepared to deal with them. And finally here, what does this opportunity mean to you to work with the Institute, also having previously worked with Clayton Yider as well? Well, Clayton was a mentor and a friend, and so I am thrilled to be back in my home state uh, working with a very talented team at the University of Nebraska to help build on Clayton's vision to be able to work with his family uh, as well as uh, the university to bring this vision to life. And, you know, it's a great chance for me just to spend some more time back in Nebraska, which I I appreciate and look forward to seeing more of my family and being on the farm a bit more this summer as well. We've been talking with Ambassador Darcy Vetter, who will now be serving in the Clayton Yider Institute of International Trade and Finance at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln as the diplomat in residence. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Back on the Rural Radio Network, and we're joined by Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe, we have a breather when it comes to volatility in this livestock futures market. Uh, yes, it was. It was definitely a, a breather. A pretty benign trade today. Uh, not much uh, going on. We're going to finish mixed in the cattle and just a shade higher in the hogs, uh, but nothing uh, a big that happened today in the uh, in the livestock markets at all. So it was uh, just kind of a uh, back and forth trade most of the day. Uh, just looking for uh, uh, anything to uh, uh, move the markets, and when nothing was found. Cutouts at noon in the cattle were down uh, again, uh, and in the hogs they were up uh, again. So uh, just kind of biding time, looking for anything, any news to uh, uh, move the markets. So uh, after uh, after all of this, uh, we end up with uh, the markets uh, closing uh, lower in the cattle for the week and also in the feeders and higher in the hogs. So not much has changed this week uh, when you look back to last week. So uh, looking forward, I think uh, we'll pick up the volatility once again, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But uh, uh, this 
day was a very quiet day, and uh, uh, next week we'll probably get back to a more uh, serious tech trade day. All right, thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call him at 800-328-0134. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. We're just north of Petersburg, Nebraska, where we're meeting Governor Dave is also president of the Central Plains Corn Growers here in Nebraska. They've had a lot of issues this year and the biggest lack of rain and what it means to the crops. Oh, we've got spots planting that corn isn't under irrigation that is head high right now. And we're one to two, you know, leaves from tassel. But we also have some dry land in the corners of this these same that are at the same maturity on a tassel at shoulder high. So, I mean, we, we, we have a lot shorter corn this year that we have stacked, you know, the collars on top of each other. So this corn, you know, when I was telling guys early that we were at V5, V6 corn, and we had corn this tall, you know, a foot and a half, two foot, they're like, oh, no, it isn't. I said, yeah, just go out and look. I said, you know, the collars are just stacking right on top of our garbage they usually do. You can go along an area and see poor beans, especially north. South is a lot better. You know, it looks like we're getting canopy planted in April. I'm not kidding you, we're still at V5, V6. So, like, the ground roots are not getting there. Getting a lot of nodules on these nitrogen, they're just worse than this corn is. This is the acres you want in beans, but like you said, if we are down 20 to 30 percent in, in yield from last year, that's very, very good possibility that we will be down 30 percent in yield. You know, last year we had some of the highest yields we've ever seen in soybeans. This year could see some of the lowest we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, Western Bean Cutworm is starting to come in on this corn, you know. To me, it's more in the sandier areas right now. Where the stress, the corn is stressed, is where there seem to be more of a of a problem. Uh, this far north, you know, not seeing it right here at this junction right now, but south, you know, Columbus, you know, Duncan area, starting to see some western bean coming in there. Out west, uh, south of Spalding, there's a little bit coming in there. But overall, I would think in the next. We're going to see a lot of insect pressure come on. So I think uh, it's going to be something we're going to have to really watch this year. You know, we, we, can't, have a, we can't have a screw up with uh, having insect pressure on this corn when it's starting to, uh, you know, pollinate. You know, and, and another thing about that, you know, we've seen a lot of Japanese beetle around also. You know, they're not just bad for beans. They're bad for corn. You know, they, they clip silks. As much as they do eat the leaves on the beans, so they, they could be a major concern. Seeing them all over the place this year, right now. They, they're not being a huge problem at this juncture, and they're really not economical to spray, but they still are around, and they could be causing a problem here in about two to three weeks. We really are not getting into a problem with insects on alfalfa right now, because most of the time, you know, alfalfa weevil, you know, they're, they're 90% water a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so hot around here, they, they can't even survive. So, you know, you look across this, you know, this was cut, I think, uh, 10 days ago and put up. You know, we're getting, a, this is getting some this rain. This gets a pivot run across it here. So, I mean, it, it's getting some moisture. So, it's, its regrowth is good. But you see a lot of this dry land hay. I don't know if we'll get another cutting or not off of it. Guys have gotten two, and that'll probably be it. How do you stay optimistic? I mean, as a... 
look at it first from a crop advisor's perspective. I mean, how do you find the, the silver lining, shall we say, and, and lack of moisture for these guys? Well, the, the first thing right now is every week when you come back to that field and this corn's still alive and it's still growing, that's optimism. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, we see pop-up thunderstorms here and there. That's uh, the story of the game here in July. And uh, the Chicago area even had one this morning. However, in the grain markets, soybeans are taking center stage. Why is that? Well, I think the, the weather. You know, this is certainly the time of the year for, for beans to start to take off. Uh, you can make the argument we're just tacking on some weather premium, or you, you certainly could make the case there is some damage out there. Very, very similar theme across the the belt is beans are short right now. Whether or not they'll, you know, maybe the seed will be good for them, but if I talk to guys out in the Dakotas or I talk to guys in Ohio, I mean, it really is the same story. The beans are small, and they don't seem to be really responding to uh, the conditions thus far. I don't think USDA will be too quick to drop any uh, you know numbers on us on on Wednesday of next week. That's the WASDE report, but uh, certainly market is is poised to to rally. So I think at this point we've just evened out. So I don't think the market's gotten long or anything like that. I think we've just essentially gotten the funds who were short, they were record short three weeks ago. They're back to square now, I would assume, and now it's about uh, you know kind of a new ball game, so to speak. So we'll tip off next week with crop conditions reports on Monday, and if those show some negativity. Uh, it, watch out for Wednesday, because Wednesday, if the USDA would actually confirm anything, I think this thing could really race. And I, I mean, as far as how high we go, it could be 11 or 12. I, don't, I wouldn't discount that at this point. November beans actually had their ninth consecutive higher close. Corn, not showing a lot of concern about the possibility of these hotter temps yet. Corn's a little different. You know, I mentioned earlier about beans, the same story. It's a little different. Guys in Iowa, especially eastern Iowa, they're, they're pretty happy with the way things are looking. Illinois, I think it's gotten a lot better. And even Indiana, the, the conditions and the guys who planted late there are happily seeing things come along. It's more in your area, especially north of, of, of Nebraska and those irrigated acres. You know, how is it going to handle uh, this kind of heat that we're getting? And, and right now the dome is kind of centered. We understand the story out in the Dakotas. But if this, this heat wave would move east a little bit and start to center itself a little more, over, say, northwest, uh, northeast Nebraska, uh, northwest Iowa, southeast, southwest Minnesota, those acres are certainly, uh, you know, I say late planted, but they were wet and they got in later. Um, I think they could be, uh, you know, looking at some problems, too. So corn right now, you know, the guys I trust think 165 is a nationwide yield that you can start with, uh, and we're only going to go lower from there, and I think that's a bullish number that, uh, you know, should see this, this December price maybe factor in 420, 430 if it would come to fruition. Thanks, John. John Payne. Senior Mark Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Or you can call 866-825-8561. Dewey Nelson reporting.